Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, it is good to be in your house today because it's good to be with you. It's good to be together and to open up your word and to let your words just fall like rain on our dry, parched hearts, Lord. And so, Lord, we pray, water us this morning with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, and now, if you turn to Genesis chapter 26... And look with me at verses 12 through 25. I'll read those. Then Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very great, for he had possessions of flocks and possession of herds and great store of servants, and the Philistines envied him. For all the wells which his father's servants had digged in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped them and filled them with earth. And Abimelech said unto Isaac, Go from us, for thou art much mightier than we. And Isaac departed thence, and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. And Isaac digged again the wells of water which they had digged in the days of Abraham his father, for the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abraham, and he called their names after the names by which his father had called them. And Isaac's servants digged in the valley, and found there a well of springing water, and the herdmen of Gerard did strive with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. And he called the name of the well Essek, because they strove with him. And they digged another well and strove for that also, and he called the name of it Sitna. And he removed from thence and digged another well, and for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth. And he said, For now the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. And he went up from thence to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night, And said, I am the God of Abraham thy father, fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. Now, in our last study, you remember how we saw how Isaac really began to turn the corner on his troubles here. I mean, the Philistines had really gotten under his skin to the point where he named and dedicated that one well, Sitna, or Satan, referring to the way that they treated him. They treated him, he saw them treating him like Satan treats him. And we came to verse 22, where we could just feel this relief that's finally come to Isaac. It's like a cool air, fresh air, that as Isaac sort of feels this final release, this relief, he's left the place where they're stealing his wells. And in verse 22, when it says, And he removed from thence and digged another well, and for that they strove not. And he called the name of it Rehoboth, for he said, For now, for the Lord hath made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. See, Isaac left the place of strife, and he digged another well. And when he found that there was no striving and fighting over that well, he just felt relieved. He just felt like, at last, you know, I've come away from all the insults, all the vandalism, 
all the expulsion, all the robbery that the Philistines had done. And so he names this new well Rehoboth, or which means wide places. And that name, and with that name, Isaac then dedicates this well to the Lord. And in his dedication, he says, for the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful. He names and dedications. That's what Isaac was doing as he's digging these wells. It's very important, names and dedications. I remember in Takati when the owner of the industrial park that we're in and the man who sold us the property where we built our first building at Takati, he came to me and he said to me, now look, since this industrial park used to be and still is, and he pointed over to some, some vines, he says it used to be and still is a working vineyard. The vines make the grapes. We make wine out of those vines. So he says that I have named every one of these buildings that I own in this park after a vine. I mean, after a wine, you know. So he says, for example, and he pointed across the street, and he said, now that building over there, that's the Chardonnay building. And that building over there, that's the Merlot building. So, you know, he didn't own the building, you know, that I owned. So he asked me, he said, would you please, he says, I'll make a request. He says, would you please just name and dedicate your building after your favorite wine? He said, (laughs) I thought for a while, I told him, I'm not really a wine drinker expert, except that when I was growing up, I used to, you know, as a little kid, it was a big thing. We would sip wine, you know, during Passover. And so I thought that's really the wine I'm familiar with. So, but it'd be kind of strange to name this building the Manischewitz building, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I thought about it and I told them, you know, there's one wine that is my favorite wine. And that's the wine that the Lord Jesus Christ took in his hand at the Last Supper, and he held out this cup of wine to his disciples, and he looked at each one of them in their eyes, and he said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. I mean, there he is, it's so dramatic, he's holding the chalice with his hand, which soon, that same hand is going to be in a similar type of shape, like this, only it's going to be nailed to a cross. And then there wouldn't be any liquid where uh, blood of the grapes in a glass, there'd be his own blood from his hand in the same shape. Anyways, he said about that wine, this is my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I said, that's my favorite wine. And so I said, in keeping with all the names of the buildings, it says, I name my building the wine of remembrance. And then we put that on the building and a plaque. In the front door, it says, this is the wine of remembrance. And then it says, it's dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ, who loved man so much that he died and rose to save man from sin. Now, every time I go into that building, I look over and see that building name, the wine of remembrance, and that it was dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and rose to save man from our sins. And it's good. It does me good because I remember it every time I see that. So naming and dedication is very important. And from verse 22, every time Isaac walked by that well, he thought to himself, you know, the name of this well, I named this well Rehoboth, which means wide places. And because when the Philistines were making my space so narrow, they wanted to push me into the sea. He says, you know, God made room. He widened out the room so I could be fruitful in the land. And this well here, by the name and the dedication, will always remember, remind me of that.
So Isaac's name and his dedication of the well in verse 22 caused him to always remember how the Lord made room for him and now he could be fruitful in the land. It's interesting that he said in verse 22 that now he could be fruitful in the land. Seems to me he was pretty fruitful in that land already. I mean, you know, it says in verse 12 to 14 that he sowed in the land and received a hundredfold and the Lord blessed him and he became, he waxed great, went forward, grew until he became very great. He had possessions, as it says there, flocks and herds and great store of servants. And, but even though all this had happened to him, that was in the past and of his fruitfulness, but that stopped as he was being chased out of the land and starved out for lack of water because they filled all his wells. So when we look at, at Isaac's well dedication here, when he says, for now the Lord had made room for us and we shall be fruitful, we can't help but think of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ when he said to us, in John 14:3, don't let your heart be troubled and don't let it be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, he informs us there are many mansions. And then he says, what? You think I would tell you if it wasn't true? Sort of like that, he says it. And then he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare this place for you, I'll be back. And when I come back, I'm going to take you to myself. Just like he said in Egypt, when he says he bore the Jewish people on eagles' wings to himself. And then he says, and I receive you to myself, so where I am, you can be there also. In other words, Isaac's dedication words, for now the Lord hath made room for us and we shall be fruitful, those are our words. Those are what we can say. We can say, well, look, because the Lord Jesus Christ has said that he's really making room for us. Literally, he's making a room for us, a lot of room, because he's saying, don't worry, there's a lot of mansions in my father's house, and I'll make a place for you. And talk about being fruitful. When we're in such close proximity to the Lord, without all the limitations of sin that we now that suffer in our bodies, we're really going to be fruitful to the Lord in his house. And so Isaac... We can see exactly what he was saying by these words, for now, for now. See, first when Isaac said for now, he was saying that, you know, it's really been hard for me in the past. You know, for now, we can just see how hard all of this persecution was in his spirit. And then when Isaac says for now, he was saying how much he hoped in God that the tide was now turning. I mean, obviously he had been fruitful in the land as we saw from the words. But when he says, for now, Isaac's saying that this time everything is going to work out for my favor because at last his enemies would stop dogging his tracks. They got enough of his stolen wells and they'd leave him alone, he hoped. And there's something else that we understand by Isaac's word in verse 22 when he says, for now the Lord hath made room for us and we shall be fruitful in the land. It would have been very easy for Isaac to just buckle under all that pressure and, and just give up. It'd be very easy for Isaac to say, you know, what's the use of living for God? I mean, all this pressure. I mean, it's all because I'm living for God. It's just too much. You know, I've had it. If you want to find me, go down to the bar with all the other Hittites. I'll be there. I'll just gather a lot of women around me, live like the Hittites do. All this pressure, I'm not going to, I'm going to leave God. And that would have been so easy for Isaac to have done and just given up with God. But by Isaac's looking to God in verse 22, he's saying that he hadn't buckled under. See, this last week, Shauna was asked to do something wrong. And she said to the person who asked her to do it, I can't do that because I'm a Christian now. See, she's under the pressure, but she doesn't buckle. She holds firm. 
So Isaac's words here, he's under the pressure, but he doesn't turn away from God in the face of his adversity. And then we read in verse 23, and he went up from thence to Beersheba. And we need to feel with Isaac. I mean, what does it mean, you know, he went to Beersheba? What was it going on in his heart? You know, Isaac is pretty worn out. I mean, you can get this sense when he's starting up with the names of, you know, Satan and all. He's just worn out. I mean, the Philistines have gotten to his spirit. The Philistines have hated him. They've hated his family. They've hated Abraham. They've broken the covenant of peace that they had made with Abraham to not touch the wells. I mean, that was the whole issue when Abraham met with the Philistines is about the well they stole. They all say, oh, we'll never do that again. You know, and they've gone back to filling it. They vandalized his wells, which showed that their hatred of him was so deep, they'd rather no one had water than to see him have water. They expelled him out of their land. They stole his new wells. So when Isaac arrives here in Beersheba, he's pretty tired. He's pretty confused. He's pretty afraid. He's pretty insecure. He's pretty unsure of what's going to happen to him now. And so the condition of his mind when he arrives there is really disturbing. You know, it's a real welcome to Beersheba for him, for Isaac, you know. So seeing Isaac had come to Beersheba in that frame of mind sets us up for the importance of verse 24, where we see, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. See, what verse 24 is telling us is that God saw his child Isaac at the end of his rope as he came there to Beersheba, so insecure. And God said, I'm not going to let my child go through this first night in Beersheba in that frame of mind without a special help to him. That's why those first three words in verse 24 are so important when it's, but those three words where it says the same night. See, the Lord appeared unto him the same night. Isn't that really precious when you see that God to do that for Isaac at the time when he was at his lowest point? You know, that was the night that God decided to appear to Isaac. The Lord appeared unto him the same night. And after God appeared to Isaac, Isaac could look back on that lowest time in his life and how God helped him by appearing to him. I mean, we could just see Isaac jump up and sing, you know, just when I need him knows, Jesus is near, just when I falter, just when I fear, ready to help me, ready to cheer, just when I need him knows, most, just when I need him most, just when I need him most, Jesus is near to comfort and cheer, just when I need him most. That's what you have here. But Isaac just needed him the most at this time, and God came. And what happened to Isaac that night is that God took him out of his disturbing thoughts and it comforted him and he delighted Isaac's soul. This is what David said happened to him in Psalm 94, 19, when David said, in the multitude of my thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. See, the word that David used there for thoughts is a very special word in Psalm 94, 19. It's the word saraph. And sorrow means kind of a dividing, disturbing thoughts. It comes from the same word that Elijah used when Elijah was on Mount Carmel and he was having this showdown between God and Baal. And Elijah challenged the people, make up your minds and decide who you're going to follow, who you're going to follow by worship, who you're going to follow by service. Is it going to be God or Baal? And he said to them in 1 Kings 18, 21, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long halt ye? How long are you going to stumble 
between two opinions. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. See, that's the word, that word opinions, that's translated opinions. That's the same root as sarif. In other words, those were sarifs. Those were dividing, disturbing thoughts that the Jewish people were kind of like stumbling in between. Couldn't make up their mind. Two dividing, disturbing opinions. Well, on the one hand, all the priests in Israel, they're following Baal. But on the other hand, Elijah is showing these great miracles, and he's really teaching like Moses did. See, those were dividing thoughts. Those were sorrows. Those were disturbing. Those were tearing them all up. I've been there. We've been caught with these disturbing, dividing, sorrow thoughts to tear us up. We feel worn out with the one hands and the other hands, and we run out of hands after a while. Isaac, on the one hand, if I stay in this land, then I'm going to be persecuted by the Philistines. On the other hand, God told me to stay in this land. On the other hand, it's best if I leave this land for my family. On the other hand, God gave me the family, and he can take care of my family. Well, on the one hand, I keep losing my wells. Well, on the other hand, God keeps giving me more wells. And he's just torn with all these sorrows, these dividing, disturbing thoughts. Those are sorrows. Those are disturbing thoughts. We've all been there. We've been tormented by those, not knowing what to do. And David said that when he had those sorrows, those dividing thoughts that were tearing him up, that all of a sudden, all of a sudden, God's comforts came to him. And they caused him to look away from all the dividing, disturbing sorrow thoughts and the comforts that he delighted his souls. Now, that reminds me of a time, I think I've told you about this, when I had to work on Thanksgiving Day in 1972. And I had to work all day long in the research lab in the basement on the side of the hill as you come up 163 there in Mercy Hospital. And I had those dividing sorrow thoughts, feeling all alone. I wanted to celebrate Thanksgiving with my family. And I had to work all day on, on some prostate cancer experiments that had it be done in Dr. Geller's lab. And I was tormented with all the sorrow, disturbing, dividing thoughts. I mean, on the one hand, I wanted to be at the family celebrating Thanksgiving at home. On the other hand, these experiments had to be done. And I had a hymnal with me we like to use here in the Chapel of Redwood. It's still over there. And I took that into work, and all day long, I sang out loud to God. And no one was there, so no one could complain, like my son Joseph does when I do that. So I just sung my heart out to God. And and that was the best Thanksgiving I ever had. I still look back on it. I think I never had a Thanksgiving so wonderful like that. What happened? Psalm 94, 19 happened. In the multitude of my sorrow, dividing thoughts within me, thy comforts delight my soul. You know, since my wife died, I've seen Psalm 94, 19 happen a lot. You know, I used to, I dreaded, oh, I'm going to be my birthday alone, my anniversary alone, holidays alone. Those dreads, multitude of my thoughts, the sorrows within me, dividing, disturbing thoughts. And yet those have been the best days. As I sing to God, sense his special presence. And my friend, John, he calls me on those days, how you doing? I said, oh, this has been the best birthday I've ever had, <laughs> best holiday. And he says, you know, that's just amazing to me. You keep saying that. You know, why? Psalm 94, 19 happens. Thy comforts delight my soul. That's why Saturdays are that like that for me. Saturdays are my worst day and my best days. All in one. Worst days in the morning. And I think, oh, well, alone, et cetera, et cetera. Start studying the scriptures. All of a sudden I get excited about something God shows me. Psalm 94, 19 happens again. So in verse 24, when the Lord appears to Isaac, the same night he arrives in Beersheba with his sorrow, dividing, disturbing thoughts within him, that was when God comforted his soul by talking to him. 
And God appeared to him. And the first thing he said to Isaac was, the Lord appeared unto him the same night, and he said, first thing God says, I am the God of Abraham thy father. That's the first thing that God told Isaac. I am the God of Abraham thy father. It's interesting the way God put that. He didn't use the usual Hebrew for ani, I am. God used a special form of Hebrew to say, I am the God of Abraham. He didn't say, Ani Elohe Abraham. He didn't say, I am the God of Abraham. But he used a special way when he said, Anoki Elohe Abraham. See, when God said Anoki instead of Ani, it puts a special emphasis on the words I am. By saying Anoki, God was emphasizing to Isaac the I am part, who he was. See, by emphasizing to Isaac that he was the God of Abraham, God is emphasizing to Isaac that he's consistent with the past. He hasn't changed. Just like it says in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And by identifying himself as the God of Abraham, God is emphasizing to Isaac, Isaac, your faith is based on history. Your faith is based on the history of my relationship with Abraham. There's a lesson in that for us. See, our faith is based on history. You know, like the song says, it has a place in history. You know, Just like God was telling Isaac, look back to Abraham's history. Look back to my acts, the acts of God with your father. See, just like he told Isaac that, we do that. We look back on history. We haven't followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the coming power of the Lord Jesus, like Peter said. See, we look back on the acts of history with God taking his people out of Egypt and the Passover. We look back on that. That's why it was so shocking when the Egyptian president, Anwar Sadat, said in an interview with the Jewish interviewer, Ted Koppel, and Anwar Sadat said to him, your people didn't build these pyramids. <laughs> he said, Koppel was just in shock. He sat there, he listened to that. Why? Our faith is built on history, including the history of the Jewish people being slaves and building the pyramids. That's what Peter was saying, 2 Peter 1.16. We have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power coming, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, with God, everything develops and progresses through history. With God, there is no future without a past, and there's no past without a future. What do I mean by that? With God, there's no basis for future hope that we're going to be delivered without a past foundational history of how God delivered in the past. And with God, there was no past without a looking forward to the future hope of deliverance. So he says, I am the God of Abraham. He wants him to look back. Now, God tells Isaac what he's going to do for him in verse 24. He says, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I'm the God of Abraham, thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee. I'll bless thee. I'll multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. See, God told Isaac, don't you be afraid. Fear not. Isaac, he had a lot of reason to be afraid. Because Abimelech had just chased him off his land. And now that Abimelech saw that Isaac buckled, so to speak, that, that Isaac didn't fight back, Isaac had a reason to fear. You know, maybe Abimelech, who hated him, he said that, he might now come to the conclusion, you know, 
he is much mightier, but he really looks like an easy prey. I mean, uh, maybe he could be walking on some bridge in Moscow and we could just bump him off, you know. <laughs> He's a, you know uh, just kill him. Just eliminate Isaac. He's a threat to me. And Abimelech had already told Isaac, you know, he's much mightier. And so, you know, Isaac, he was already afraid that he was going to be bumped off, you know, if it's for Rebekah, his wife. So, you know, he's a man given to fear, so he's afraid. So God says, first of all, fear not, Isaac. Don't you be afraid. That's what God told Abraham after Abraham had fought the five kings. You know, Abraham, he had a basis to be afraid. I mean, the five kings might turn around and say, how many people? Is 400 people just defeated us, you know? And they might turn around and they say, well, you know, it's a revenge time. And turn around and say, well, we're not going to let that happen. Let's go after that Abraham. And Abraham had a reason to be afraid at the beginning of Genesis 15 after the five kings. So he says, God says in Genesis 15, 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision saying, fear not, Abraham. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800 800- 247-3051-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event, including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. 